your Locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 598 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just want to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. That song you're hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check those guys out anywhere you get your music. And today we're pretty much just going to jump from one thing to the next. We got a lot to do and no time to waste here. We're going to have some final thoughts on what was, again, just an instant classic nail-biter of a series against the Pittsburgh Penguins going seven games. Of course, Artemi Panarin with the heroics in the overtime period, setting the Rangers to round two, where they will square off against the Carolina Hurricanes. And speaking of the Canes, the Metro Division winners, of course, uh, we're also going to take a look ahead at this matchup against the Canes and see how the Rangers kind of stack up against them. Where might the Rangers have some advantages? Where might the Canes give them some issues? All that good stuff. We'll be uh, taking our first look at the Rangers versus Canes impending playoff series, which will, of course, start Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in Raleigh. Of course, the Rangers also will not have home ice advantage in this series as they did in the first one. Something else, uh, we were talking the other day about all-time Ranger playoff comeback victories, as well as just general NHL comeback victories, and and not so much in a single game, but rather in an entire series. You know, there have been uh, four teams that have come back from 3-0 down. I believe now 31 teams have come back from 3-1 down, and, you know, it's just kind of a fun debate, I think, to kind of compare and contrast this most recent Ranger comeback with uh, some of the greatest comebacks that they've had in their history. So uh, there's a very specific one that we're going to do a little bit later in today's episode, so we will eventually get to that as well. And also... Final thoughts on this series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we're going to start right there. Uh, For starters, I got to give a big shout out to Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti. There's nobody I'd rather have calling these games. Unfortunately, you know, MSG is not going to have, you know, the broadcast anymore. I I believe they're still doing pregame and postgame shows, which is awesome. Definitely going to be tuning in for all that. Uh, But as far as Sam and Joe calling the games, I'm pretty sure that was it, at least for the rest of this season. But man, what a way for these two to go out. You know, obviously they had a lot of great stuff to work with over this past series, but uh, to be calling all the games when the Rangers are down three games to one, they come storming back, they win the series, the great comebacks in games five and game six, uh, the comeback in game seven, as well as the overtime winner, and just an outstanding call by Sam Rosen uh, when Artemi Panarin scored in overtime against the Penguins to give the Rangers the lead. Uh, This is what Sam Rosen said, moves in, he shoots, He scores, he scores, Rangers, Rangers, Rangers win. I thought that was awesome. Right up there with some of the best calls that we've ever gotten from Sam Rosen. And for me, obviously, I'm a little bit Ranger biased, but man, Sam and Joe, the two absolute best in the business. I know there's always going to be a lot of love for the Sam and JD duo that we got, you know, back in the 90s. But, you know, Joe Micheletti had some big shoes to uh, to fill there, and I think he has, and I mean, it's just awesome. We've basically had only three announcers. I mean, Sam's been the play-by-play guy since, uh, I believe, the 90s. Was it even earlier than that? I would have to double-check that, but Sam's been there forever. Uh, JD was with him for a long time, and Joe's been with him for a long time, so basically three announcers going back uh, about 30 years or so here. It's pretty crazy, and uh, those two guys delivered in this series as they did all season, so definitely going to miss uh, you know hearing them call the games, but Obviously, next season, we'll look forward to uh, having them back as the play-by-play guy and the color guy, respectively. Something else, you know, obviously, I was just talking about uh, this goal by Artemi Panarin here. What a play by Ke'Andre Miller. 
And this is something that I talked about in our last episode a little bit. Man, we really got to do justice by Ke'Andre Miller as far as what happened on this play. Because it was Ke'Andre Miller forcing a turnover, going in on a breakaway, taking McGinn, or excuse me, uh, forcing McGinn to take a holding penalty and putting the Rangers on the power play. And then, of course, the Rangers scored at the tail end of that man advantage about 15 seconds to go uh, as far as five-on-four play, how much time was left there. And Artemi Panarin scores the winner. But none of that is possible. I mean, maybe Panarin could still score the game winner, but they wouldn't have been on the power play had it not been for what Ke'Andre Miller did. So I wanted to break down this play in greater detail as well as just give general props to Ke'Andre Miller, who I thought was the Rangers' best defenseman in this series. So Penguins, you know, they got the puck during the neutral zone. McGinn gains the blue line up the boards on the right side, and Ke'Andre Miller's there. He stops him dead in his tracks, just kind of pins him against the boards. Uh, McGinn tries to move away from Miller, kind of backtracks a little bit and starts moving toward the center of the ice, and that's when Miller, you know, he stayed with him all the way, poked the puck away from him. Puck goes, you know, sliding into the neutral zone, and Miller hits the Jets. Him and McGinn are both trying to get to the loose puck, which is now uh, approaching the Penguin blue line, and Miller picks it up on the left side, Right before it gets to the blue line, he goes hard to the net, was not going to be denied on his drive uh, to the Penguin net. And McGinn, of course, you know, he's got the angle. He's, he's trying to stop Miller, do everything he can, but he's got no choice. He can't risk Miller potentially scoring here on a partial breakaway, and he's got to take the holding penalty. So just a fantastic job by Keandre Miller all around. First of all, forcing the turnover. I mean, actually, first of all, standing up McGinn on the uh, blue line after McGinn gained the zone and then poking the puck away and then going hard to the net and then drawing the penalty on the Penguins. Basically, four good plays all in one for Ke'Andre Miller, and that's basically just par for the course for this guy. Ke'Andre Miller is something that I've talked about, you know, I think even earlier in this series and toward the end of the regular season as well. This dude is about to become a superstar in this league. And by and large, once again, I thought he was the Rangers' most consistent and overall best defenseman of the first round. I do not say that lightly. He's part of a quartet that I think is among the best in the NHL. Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, Jacob Truba, and Ke'Andre Miller. But obviously, Ryan Lindgren missed some time in this series. And as much as I like Adam Fox and Jacob Truba, and you know they did make some good plays in this series, I thought there were times that both guys also scuffled a little bit. To me, Ke'Andre Miller was, uh, by and large, once again, the best Ranger defenseman in the first round. Did a great job against uh, Sidney Crosby. You know, those two have kind of a side rivalry that's uh, been boiling a little bit over these past couple of seasons here, basically ever since Ke'Andre Miller came into the league. So he obviously did a nice job against him. You know, Miller and Truba were out there quite a bit against the Crosby line. And I realized, you know, the Crosby line kind of went off in this series. But I think they did a good job at least keeping them in check in Game 7. You know, they got the one goal, the, the Gensel goal, where he kicked the puck up to himself. And, I mean, that might have been an illegal goal. We already debated that. We don't have to get into all that again. Uh, but, obviously, they kept the Crosby line from at least thoroughly taking over Game 7 as they had taken over games early in the series. So points for that as well. But Keandre Miller's got some offensive skill to go with this game. Uh, he's beginning to play a lot more physical. You can see that even since when he came into the league last year compared to now. Uh, Keandre Miller using his size and his strength to his advantage. And this dude, again, he looks like he was born for playoff hockey and right on the verge of becoming, once again, a bona fide superstar in this league. And I'm very much looking forward to what he can do against the Carolina Hurricanes because the Rangers are obviously going to need him. And then a couple other notes from the overtime period. This is something that, you know, I mentioned very briefly in yesterday's episode, but I wanted to talk about it in more detail today. Mika Zibanejad coming up clutch in the faceoff circle all night, really, but especially in this overtime period while the Rangers had the man advantage. So uh, first of all, Mika Zibanejad on the night for the New York Rangers, 
He ended up winning 72% of his face-offs, and the Rangers did the best that they've done in the face-off circle this entire series. They won 49% compared to 51% by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Obviously, they still lost, but it was closer than it had been the entire series, and the Penguins are notoriously a very, very good face-off team. But Mika came up clutch when his team needed it the most. He took three offensive zone face-offs during this power play, won all three of them. And not only did he win all three of them, won all three of them 100% clean, you know, got the puck back to the defenseman and set up the Rangers to basically be in business. So that was absolutely huge. And speaking of huge plays in the overtime period, this is something that I got to talk about. This occurred while the Rangers were on the power play. The Penguins had a shot at an odd man rush while they were shorthanded. Now, the Rangers got back quickly, but Adam Fox, what a play he made. Uh, Fox just straight up stole the puck away from Brian Russ and skated back up the ice with it. It's the Adam Fox special defending the two-on-one. I mean, he does a lot of things very well. I think he defends the two-on-one break as well or better than any defenseman in this league. And, you know, again, he's had his ups and downs in this series. I would say more ups and downs for Adam Fox, but just an enormous play here to take the puck away clean from Brian Russ and break up a potential scoring opportunity for the Penguins. If he doesn't do this, who knows what happens? I like to think that, you know, the Rangers were in good enough position that they could have defended the play. And, you know, even if you needed Igor Shesterkin to make a big save that he could have done it, but you just never know. And you're holding your breath every single time the puck is in your zone in playoff overtime and especially in game seven playoff overtime. And we are going to go ahead and compare this series comeback to some other series comebacks that the Rangers have had in their history. And we are also going to take a look at the upcoming series against the Carolina Hurricanes. Just start to preview that series. There's a chance we might squeeze in one more episode uh, on Wednesday with Jared Ellis of Locked on Hurricanes to potentially, you know, kind of get his perspective and see what he thinks about this series. And we'll discuss some key matchups and all that good stuff for sure if we're able to pull it off. I'm sure we'll talk to Jared at some point during this series, either a pregame show or a postgame show. Uh, but for right now, just want to let everybody know that today's episode of Lockdown New York Rangers is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse just so happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need rockauto.com. All right, just want to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast. Nightly recaps of every NHL game with analysis from our local experts. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Something that I tweeted out the other night, and some of you might have seen it after Panarin won the game and the Rangers, of course, clinched the series, and it's something that I genuinely mean. I like this Ranger team more than I think any team that I've ever cheered for. And I do not say that lightly. And for you guys that don't know, uh, you know, obviously I'm a Ranger fan. With baseball, I'm a Yankee fan. With football, believe it or not, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan. I know, I know. Don't get too mad at me. But with all the teams and all the players that have come and gone, and, you know, the good teams, the bad teams, the teams that almost won a championship, the teams that did win a championship, the, this group of players on the New York Rangers is right up there. And, you know, to kind of make my point here, what I want you guys to do, take a look at the 20 players on the New York Rangers uh, that dressed for Game 7 
against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And now try to figure out which one of them is your least favorite player. Now, some of you might have an answer. Some of you might have somebody that you maybe don't necessarily like his game or, or whatever it might be. But is there anyone on this team that you actually dislike like as a person? I, I think this is the most likable group of players that I have ever seen in any sport. And I don't say that lightly. I absolutely love the New York Ranger team in 2014 that made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, that was awesome. That was some storybook stuff with uh, you know the comeback against the Penguins that year. Uh, Martin St. Louis on Mother's Day scoring that goal and just a tremendous run by that team. Obviously, 94, everybody's always going to love that team. Any player that was on that 94 team, everybody's going to just adore them if you're a New York Ranger fan because they all played a role, at least some role, in helping the Rangers win their only championship of the past 82 years. So those guys, whether you had whether you were the team captain like Marc Messier or the last guy off the bench, those guys are all basically living legends at this point uh, as far as New York Ranger fans are concerned. But I really mean this. I, like, I just absolutely... Love the way that this team has come together. I love the way that the roster has been constructed. I love the fight that they showed against the Pittsburgh Penguins in this series. I love the fact that they're the team that, quote-unquote, isn't supposed to be here because you look around uh, really the entire NHL as far as the eight teams that are left, um, but especially in the Eastern Conference, the Rangers are the team that sticks out like a sore thumb. you got the Canes. You've also got the Lightning playing the Panthers. So those three teams, I mean, if I told you that one of those three teams would be alive in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, I think pretty much everybody would say, yeah, of course. You know, there's there's nothing surprising about that. But with the Rangers, I'm not even so sure all of us would have believed it coming into the season. You know, I had them as a team that would uh, barely get into the playoffs. I think I said I, they would clinch playoffs with about two games left in the regular season just to make us all sweat it out. But yeah, I mean, this team is uh, leaps and bounds ahead of where they are, you know, supposed to be, quote unquote, but we'll take it. I mean, this has been just a ton of fun. And like I said, this team showing that it's wise beyond its years and just showing uh, the guts and character that befits a New York Ranger team. But without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and compare this comeback, this 3-1 to series comeback by the New York Rangers to what happened in 1994, the Eastern Conference Finals. The Rangers down three games to two to the New Jersey Devils in that series. Most of you know the story, but we might have, you know, some newer Ranger fans, some younger listeners, whatever it might be. So I'll give you the kind of quick version, and I'm going to compare that comeback back then to the one that just happened uh, a couple days ago. Um, so first of all, 1994, again, Eastern Conference Finals. So it was two rounds deeper into the playoffs than this comeback that just happened here in the first round. And by nature, you know, that makes it a bigger win. It's a bigger stage. And it, of course, vaults the Rangers into the Stanley Cup Finals when they come back from three games to two down uh, against the New Jersey Devils. And on top of all that, you know, the Rangers, the 1994 team, they were all in. They traded uh, some skillful young players for some big-time battle-tested playoff veterans. You know, Mike Keenan, he was the coach. He wanted a certain team. And Neil Smith, he was the general manager at the time. Him in the front office made it happen, gave Mike Keenan uh, the team that he wanted and the team that he felt like he needed uh, to lead this team to the Stanley Cup. And the one thing that the 1994 uh, comeback definitely has going in its favor, on top of what I just talked about there, uh, just the theatrics of it all. I mean, this is a story that is straight out of Hollywood. And again, I'll give everybody a little bit of a refresher, and there could be some Ranger fans hearing this story for the first time even. Most of you probably know this story. But bottom line, Rangers are down three games to two to the New Jersey Devils in the Eastern Conference Finals. So obviously they're facing elimination. Game six is on the road in New Jersey. The Rangers played very poorly in game five, lost it in Madison Square Garden, and again, down three games to two in this series. And so Mark Messier, the captain at the time, he guarantees a win, says that the Rangers will win game six in New Jersey. And 
didn't really start all that well for the Rangers. They were down two to nothing in this game, which I mean that's kind of a theme. You know, you, you think about what just happened against the Penguins here. The Rangers coming back from uh, two goals to none down in big time playoff games, but they're down two nothing. Devils are basically skating circles around them. They got their home fans going absolutely nuts. You've got Mike Richter, the Ranger goalie, keeping them in this game and, and keeping their season alive, basically, by just making some phenomenal saves. The Devils, on more than one occasion, easily could have made this score uh, 3 to nothing. They did not, and Alex Kovalov for the New York Rangers scores a goal right at the end of the second period, assist by Marc Messier, the captain who guaranteed the win, of course, and... It's now 2-1 to one heading into the third period. And then Marc Messier with the natural hat trick in the third period of that game. The Rangers went 4-2. And, of course, that sends it back to Game 7 at Madison Square Garden. This game, the Rangers lead one to nothing late. The Devils tie the game with seven seconds left in the third period. It goes to double overtime. And, of course, Stefan Matteau scores on a wraparound, sends the Rangers to the Stanley Cup. So, as far as the theatrics go, 1994 definitely has the edge. It also, right now at least, has the edge just by the simple fact that the Rangers ended up winning the Stanley Cup that season. And of course, this is 2022. We're living in the present. This comeback against the Penguins just happened, and we don't know how it's going to end. Um, but, you know, obviously the Rangers won the Stanley Cup back then. So uh, 1994, that comeback has that working for it as well. And coming back against the Devils was no easy task. You know, Martin Brodeur was very, very young at the time, but still uh, already a tremendous goalie at that point. The Devils were one of the best defensive teams in the league. They made the trap famous. Very, very difficult order to, to come back against them uh, in Game 6 as the Rangers did. So uh, that's the case to be made for 1994. As far as uh, the one that just happened here, I think the obvious edge that this recent comeback, the one that just occurred, has on 1994 is the very simple fact that this series, the Rangers were down three games to one rather than three games to two. So obviously they had to win three consecutive games rather than just uh, two. And in 1994, you know, yes, the Rangers had to come back from a two to nothing deficit in game six. However, you know, this season... The Rangers had to come back from 2-0 down in games 5 and 6. So to me, that gives uh, at least a couple points to 2022 here. Uh, something else that I think makes this year's comeback uh, more impressive to me is just how young and how inexperienced this Ranger team really is. You know, I mentioned that the 1994 team battle-tested, playoff-hardened veterans who many of them had won multiple Stanley Cups. They didn't call it Edmonton South for nothing. A lot of those players had won multiple Stanley Cup championships during the Edmonton Oilers dynasty. But when you look at this Ranger team, and when you kind of think about where analysts thought that they stacked up before the season started, nobody, I mean, I don't want to say nobody, but a lot of people certainly did not have them as a playoff team, and certainly not a team that would at least get out of the first round. But you look at this Ranger team and you look at just how inexperienced they are, just how young they are. They were the third youngest team in hockey coming into the season. There is almost no playoff experience on this team. I mean, there's a little bit, but every single player on this roster, except for Chris Kreider, was playing in his first legitimate Stanley Cup playoff series as a member of the New York Rangers. We're not going to count uh, the best of five qualifying round matchup against the Canes in 2020 because technically teams that were eliminated in that qualifying round are not considered playoff teams in 2020. There's only two former Stanley Cup champions on this Ranger roster, Barclay Goodrow and Sammy Blay. Goodrow was not available for most of the series, and Sammy Blay obviously has not played in a very long time. And... You know, again, just the fact that they had to come back from multiple goals down twice while facing elimination and then coming back in Game 7 to tie it, send it in overtime and win it, 
So I got to give a little bit of an edge to this one. I realize the historical significance is not there for this 2022 team, at least not yet. Now, if the Rangers go on to win the Stanley Cup, then, oh, yeah, the, the historical significance of this 3-1 comeback will be there. We don't know how far this team is going to go. But again, just the fact that they were down 3-1 to one, and just the fact that, you know, this team was just so inexperienced, so young, maybe it's recency bias on my part. Maybe it's a little bit the fact that I was only seven years old in 1994 when the Rangers were coming back and winning that series. They're both very, very impressive in their own way, but I got to give just a little bit of an edge uh, to this most recent comeback that happened here. I realize it does not uh, contain the historical significance, but as far as just most impressive and most just out-of-nowhere comeback win, I think there's a slight edge to 2022. We're going to dive into the upcoming series against the Carolina Hurricanes in just a second. Definitely looking forward to sharing some general thoughts on what to expect there. Uh, but first, just want to let everybody know that today's episode of Locked on New York Rangers is brought to you by Built Bar. Imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing that was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That is what it is like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built. I just received my birthday cake puffs, and I have never had anything like this before. They're available right now, and we can't promise that they will be there tomorrow, so go get them today at Built.com. With 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, and only 9 grams of sugar, this limited-time flavor is an amazing option if you are looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that with Built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. And they are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Go to Built.com to get birthday cake puffs right now. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKS15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKS15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, like I said, going to go ahead and break down this matchup against the Carolina Hurricanes. My hope is to do one more episode before the series starts, preferably a crossover with Jared Ellis where he can kind of share his thoughts from the Carolina Hurricanes perspective. Obviously, Jared does a great job covering this team. Uh, as far as, you know, just some general thoughts here, I want to run an idea by you guys. And this is actually an idea that I had in the preceding series against the Penguins when the Rangers were down three games to two in that series. I wouldn't dare mention this at the time. Uh, and you'll see what I mean in a second here. My idea, and it's something that I've almost kind of talked myself out of since then, but my idea is that the Rangers come back and win this series and beat the Penguins and they move on to round two, likely against the Canes. I realize the Canes, you know, they went seven games with Boston, and uh, that was close right until the end. But I always thought they'd end up playing the Canes if they got out of the first round. My idea is to possibly go with Alex Georgiev in game one against the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, some of you are probably going to think I'm crazy, and admittedly, uh, it's a little bit out there. It's an idea that, you know, again, I had as the last series was going on because the way I saw it, Igor Shesterkin, he's been absolutely grinding for this New York Ranger team. Uh, he's played more games in this season than he ever has in his life. His previous career high, if you just want to look at all the different places that he's played hockey, was back in 2013-2014 with MHK Spartak Moskva of the MHL. He played 23 regular season games and 19 playoff games for a total of 44 games. And in this season with the Rangers, 53 regular season games, seven playoff games, 60 games total. And on top of that, you guys watched this series against the Penguins. You know how uh, extraordinarily demanding it was physically, mentally for all these players, much less Igor Shesterkin, the goalie who has to play a triple overtime game in game one, gets yanked out of games three and four on the road, and then has to lead the Rangers back and, you know, make some outstanding saves 
with his team facing a 3-1 to series deficit and win three consecutive games, not to mention Game 7 going to overtime. It's a lot. I mean, that is an incredibly demanding seven-game stretch for Igor Shesterkin. So my idea was, you know, Alex Georgiev, he's played well down the stretch for the New York Rangers, won a lot of games, really turned his season around, and also had an outstanding game against the Carolina Hurricanes earlier this season. I don't want to read too much into it because it is just one game, but if you guys remember, Alex Georgiev absolutely stood on his head the best performance of his career, a 44-save shutout back on March 20th against the Canes, and... You know, the Rangers led one to nothing that whole game. Vitrano added a, an empty netter a little bit later, but Georgiev was phenomenal in that game. It's just an idea, and certainly even if the Rangers do this, which I don't think they will, but if they do, you go back to Igor Shesterkin in game two and for the rest of the series, regardless of what happens in game one. The reason I'm kind of against this is because, I mean, first of all, it's Igor Shesterkin, so I want that guy playing. Um, but the other reason is that, you know, the Rangers have had a couple of days off here, Monday and Tuesday. They didn't have to jump right into the next series. So he's had a little bit of a mental and physical break break here, hopefully, and got to think he's ready to go. So uh, overall, I would lean to just going with Igor Shesterkin. Let's not get too cute here. But it was an idea, once again, that kind of popped into my head toward the end of the last series. And it was something I at least want to run by you guys. To me, it's, it's an interesting topic to debate and at least food for thought. But as far as the four matchups between these teams in the regular season, like I said, the Canes won three out of four. Uh, you had them beating the Rangers 6-3 to three on January 21st. Tony D'Angelo went off, had three points. Jesper Foss scored a goal on that one. It's kind of just classic Rangers getting killed by uh, their former players there. But then the Rangers bounced back with, again, a 2 to nothing win. That's the one we just talked about. Alex Georgiev's 44-save shutout on March 20th. They play not too long after that on April 12th. And in this one, the Canes beat the Rangers by a score of 4-2. to two. Uh, Chris Kreider got his 50th goal in that game, but uh, the Canes added a late goal and empty netter, which is six seconds left, and that allowed them to uh, seal the victory there. And then in the fourth and final meeting, that happened on April 26th, and in that game, uh, the Canes topped the Rangers by a final score of 4-3. to three. So all the games have been competitive except for, I would say, maybe the first one. Rangers have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, the Metro Division champions and hung with them all season. Uh, but this is going to be difficult. And obviously, you know, one thing that's going to pop into everybody's head right now is that the Rangers are playing the same team that knocked them out of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. That was the qualifying round that occurred in the bubble. And the Canes swept the Rangers three games to none in a best-of-five qualifying round series. Henrik Lundqvist, that turned out to be the final two games of his career in games one and two. Igor Shesterkin came in in game three, but... Came uh, still won, and they eliminated the Rangers. And one thing I remember from that series, it's not like the Canes just thoroughly, completely dominated and won all these games like 6-1 to one or anything like that, but it was just this feeling that they were in complete control. They were so good at pressuring the puck and just giving the Rangers little to no room to breathe. There were very few, uh, you know, periods of that entire series where you felt like the Rangers were having the better to play. It was just, just kind of a draining series, and the fact that there was very, very little to get excited about. There weren't too many instances in any of the three games where the Rangers were having the better of play and where we as Ranger fans could realistically look at it and think that they were going to win. And, you know, part of that is the Rangers, we got to be honest here, they just weren't that good of a team back then. You know, the Canes were the sixth seed. The Rangers were the 11th seed. The Rangers only got into the playoffs because it was a very unique set of circumstances. And, you know, the better team won. I mean, there's no other way to say it. The Canes uh, took care of business against the Rangers and advanced into uh, the real playoffs, the standard playoffs that season. But one thing that I just mentioned is the Canes, you know, they relentlessly pressure the puck. And so, too, do the Pittsburgh Penguins. So my hope here is that the Rangers are at least somewhat aware of what they're in for as far as, uh, you know, teams just not giving them any room and being very, very aggressive on the forecheck, being uh, very, very quick to pressure the puck. The Penguins do that too. 
the Canes probably do it a little bit more effectively because they're just a very well-coached team and just an outstanding defensive team in general. But I'm hoping that the Rangers, again, they just kind of know what they're in for. They just got past the Pittsburgh Penguins, squeaked past them, and hopefully, you know, they're ready to play a team that plays that kind of a style. Hopefully this Penguin series got the Rangers prepared for the Carolina Hurricanes. The other really, really big storyline going into this series is that uh, for the second time in as many series, the New York Rangers will be up against a team that does not have its all-star goalie. Freddie Anderson is listed as doubtful for the second round here, and we'll see what happens. You know, Tristan Jerry obviously came back in game seven of the preceding round, but unless something changes, unless something, uh, you know, swings in the favor of the Canes, the Rangers are going to be up against their old friend, and that would, of course, be Antti Ranta, who manned the crease for the series against the Boston Bruins. Ranta, thus far in the playoffs, has put up a 927 save percentage to go along with a 237 goals against average. He's now 33 years old. A lot of Ranger fans, I'm sure, remember uh, Ranta being the backup to Henrik Lundqvist for two seasons in New York. I was always a Ranta fan. Uh, really, really happy for him that he's getting this opportunity to play in some Stanley Cup playoff games on a really good team. But... Obviously, I'm hoping that the Rangers find a way to solve him and they're able to defeat him. Maybe they can talk to Chris Kreider. You know, Kreider and Ranta were teammates back when he was on the Rangers. Maybe uh, Kreider picked up on a couple of things in practice. Who knows? And, you know, looking at this series, I think something that's very, very obvious is that the Rangers have become a much, much better team than the last time that these two teams met in the playoffs. But I would also uh, argue the same thing for the Carolina Hurricanes. They're a team that's been into the playoffs the last handful of seasons here and a team that's really emerged as one of the elite teams in the Eastern Conference, a team that's sort of been knocking on the door, maybe even a Stanley Cup championship. The other thing that really stands out is there's a million former New York Raiders on this team. I mean, it's crazy. You've got Jesper Foss, Derek Stepan, Tony D'Angelo, the aforementioned Antti Ranta, Brennan Smith, and Brady Shea. So a lot of players on the Rangers going to get reacclimated with some of their former teammates in a heck of a hurry. I don't know. Maybe we'll see if Chris Kreider and Tony D'Angelo find each other on the ice. I mean, crazier things have definitely happened than those two dropping the gloves against each other. We know what happened between the two of them at the start of last season when they were both on the Rangers. As far as playoff point leaders for the Canes, guys who are kind of getting it done in that department, you've got Tony D'Angelo. He's got a team high eight points. He's actually tied with Jacob Slavin. They both have eight points. And then you've also got Tevu Teravainen and Vincent Trocek with seven points. Trocek's another X factor in this series. I got to say, guys, uh, you know, to be completely honest, I know we're about to play this team, but Vincent Trocek has been uh, one of my favorite non-Rangers in the league for a long time. Just has a great all-around game and somebody that's obviously made the Canes a little bit deeper and a little bit tougher to play against. He typically centers the second line. Great player and somebody that I think makes a big difference for that team. And speaking of making a difference, I think the Rangers could end up with an edge in the special teams department. Now, the Canes were better on special teams in the regular season than they were in their seven-game set against the Bruins, but it is worth pointing out, of the 16 playoff teams, the Canes were fifth to last in power play success. They converted on just 13.9% of their power play opportunities in that series. And as far as the penalty kill, they're right in the middle, number eight in the NHL in the playoffs, you know, number eight out of the 16 playoff teams during Stanley Cup playoff action. They killed off 79.3% of Boston's power play opportunities. So they've scuffled a little bit on the special teams. As far as the regular season, the Canes on the power play were 13th in the league at 22%. And just for some reference, the Rangers on the man advantage in the regular season, number four in the league at 25.2%. And then, of course, you've got the penalty kill as well. That's where the Canes really excelled. Like I said, uh, they scuffled against the Bruins a little bit in that department. I wouldn't even say scuffled. They just didn't play as well on the kill as we're used to seeing them play. But they were phenomenal on the kill in the regular season. 
killed off 88% of their opponent's power play opportunities. That is tops in the league. And of course, the Rangers, number seven in the regular season at 82.3%. So both teams, good on special teams, might give a little bit of an edge to the Rangers, though, based on both what they did in the regular season and what has happened thus far in the postseason. And you guys know me. I always got to look at uh, face-off winning percentage. Yeah, the Canes in the regular season, number four in the league at 53.9%. So the Rangers are going to have their hands full on the dot once again, just as they did against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, a couple other quick things I want to mention before we call it a day here. You guys might remember this, longtime listeners. Uh, during the pandemic, when the pandemic was at its height, you know, everything was shut down. There were no sports, no nothing, basically. We kind of dove into some classic Ranger content. We pretty much had no choice. We had to do that. Um, but I'm going to eventually have to update an old episode after Artemi Panarin scored his overtime game winner in Game 7 against the Pittsburgh Penguins because uh, I did a two-parter during the height of the pandemic where I ranked every single New York Ranger playoff overtime goal since 1994. And at some point, we're going to have to wait and see what happens with the Rangers here. At some point, I'm going to go back and at least kind of figure out where the Breadman's winner uh, ranks in that category. So we'll, we'll update that, so to speak, and uh, I'll kind of might be top five. I think it might be uh, somewhere around the top five. We'll see, though. Uh, and also, I just want to call for you guys. Email me, uh, tweet at me, send me a DM, whatever you got to do. I want to hear your stories from Game 7 because, obviously, in this most recent episode, you know, I talked about watching the game with my mom and just how I was reacting to every single thing that happened in that game. You know, Mika tying it, Panarin winning it. So I want to hear your stories, too. Where were you? Who were you watching with? What did you think when the Penguins were up three games to one in this series? Did you think the Rangers were going to tie game seven before the clock ran out? Did you think they would win it going into overtime? How did you react when they did win it? I want to hear it all. Share your stories, and I'll read it on a future episode of Locked on New York Rangers. We might have to save it for the offseason, but I will definitely do an episode dedicated entirely for that. I love hearing from New York Ranger fans. I love hearing all the stories and you know how you guys experienced the game, how you guys uh, handled you know tough losses, as well as uh, obviously the big wins as well. So... Yeah, looking forward to hearing from you guys. And if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, you can send an email to lockedonnyrangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is lockedonnyrangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time. Thanks for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, Locked On NHL. From second round matchups to each Stanley Cup kiss, Locked On NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts.